Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon and Alan Niven. We are talking to Chips Enough of the band Enough's Enough. Well, in fact, at this point, Chips Enough is the band Enough's Enough. They have a new album out called Brainwashed Generation. But uh, before we get to that, uh, bonjour, Monsieur Alain. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear. Now, next week... Uh, we are going to be talking to Al Danova, and I had a chance to go over to his house. And it's funny because we were down in his studio, and, and there's an isolation booth there. And he pointed to it, and he said, "He goes, that's uh, he goes. You're a Bon Jovi fan, you know. That's that's where Richie and uh, Obie O'Brien came when they did their uh, guitar parts, or when they recorded the guitar parts for the uh, for the live album. And it was like, um, uh, <laughs> come again." He goes, yeah, yeah, you know that album they put out like in 2000, 2001? I'm like, yeah, One Wild Night, uh, right? One Wild Life or whatever. And he's like, yeah, 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 Richie came up and they spent a couple of days here working on the, uh, on the, uh, on the, on the, on his tracks. I'm like, uh, um, what? <laughs> that, that's not what a live album's supposed to be. But of course, uh, you know, that, that's, no, that's, that's how every live that's... album is, right? No, that's not how a live album should be. And I'll tell you, there was one point in my life, and it was after I'd seen the Doogie Brothers for the first time, and there was such a disparity between their live performance and their recorded performance, I decided that if I was going to find out what a band was, I'd look for their live album first and see if it were, if the band were, you know, a studio confection or whether they really were a hot band um and my attitude has always been yeah if there's an absolute clunker in a track then punch in and fix it but ordinarily my approach was always use use the recording that you made on the night and don't screw around with it and I'm very proud of the fact that with uh, one of the bands that I worked with, um, Great White, that their stage album is pure. No fixes, no mixes. That's what they played on the night. Wow. And, uh, that's the way it should be. That's a great sounding album. But all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play Devil's Advocate here. There is an album by a band, uh, I think you might know them, called Guns N' Roses, Live Like a Suicide. Um how live was that? <laughs> well, it was pretty spontaneous in that they were all together recording demo tracks from the studio. But it was a case of let's throw a little bit of audience on there because this is not the first representation that we want to make of a studio um, recording. So let's mit mitigate it and put it out because it's got a vitality and they all played together. And, uh, you know, we can just quietly spin that into saying it was live and put a little bit of audience on it so that people know, know that this is not the band's debut album. And, that, and that's basically the thinking behind it. it, it it's like giving a clear message of the debut album is yet to come, but here's a taste of what the band is. Here's a taste. And, and I'm just reading the Wikipedia, Wikipedia uh, listing on it, and I love how they put this. They go, the EP in its entirety was included blah, 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 and features seamless crowd noise between the songs. <laughs> yeah. 
you did, yeah. You did, you did you did a great job. Uh, so so where did that crowd noise come? Where did the crowd swell? Let's use the technical term. Where did the crowd swell come from? Was it like the NFL's uh, studio swell? And like where did that come from? I'm so I'm so uh, intrigued by from, this album. It, it came from from something that Hans Peter Huber had in the Pasha Studios. So he used a bit of crowd noise off something that he had, something else that was on on tape and sitting on the shelves in Pasha's studio. Yeah, that, that also was down in Pasha. So, but at least they played the songs live, and it gave us Mama Kin, which is you know it's a great version. So yes, uh, yeah. What they what they should have done on the um, Appetite for Destruction box set reissue, which I'm pretty sure nobody bought, but. Sh- it's a whole other story, but uh, they probably should have just put the uh, the un the un live versions and said, "Okay, listen, we all know that we we cheated on this one. Here's here's what it was really like. That would have been a, a fan collectible, if you ask me. But anyway, but stages from uh, Great White, you uh, recently re released it. It sounds it sounds stunning, and and that's pure, right? One hundred percent pure. Yes, that's a pure record. Wow, that's 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 a band that was on fire then. Uh, that that was at their peak. And uh, um, let me quickly apologize for that choice of words. I, I mean, they were they were playing very well. There was no intent to be yeah. uh, disrespectful or <laughs> sorry. It, <laughs> apologies. That's why I tried to go buy it. Yeah, that 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 is, uh, yeah. Apologies for that. That was not absolutely intended in any way, shape, or form. Um, but all right, sorry about that. Let's let's get quickly over to Bon Jovi. Uh, so so Richie goes over to Aldo's place. He records his parts. I'm curious to know if after he leaves, if Aldo and and I have no, I we did not have this discussion. I'm just thinking out loud. I I wonder if Aldo ended up on the album and said, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to have to fix what Richie did here." And, and maybe I don't know. It's it's possible, I guess, right? Uh, no, I think he called somebody called Huff to come in and do that. Oh yes, Dan Huff. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about Dan Huff uh, next week. Just wait for our Dan Huff discussion. It's going to be uh, stunning. Uh, anyway, on that uh, brainwashed let's, uh, generation. Yes, let's talk about chips. Um, yeah, let's talk about chip. Know. By the way, his birthday is September tenth. Now it's listed as nineteen sixty eight. I love you, Chip, but I'm gonna have to think that's probably record company age. I'm just just gonna throw that out there. But yeah, September 10th, 1968 is his official birth date. <clears throat> uh, yeah, go ahead. Talk to me about Chip. Well, you know, I never really met him, but there was uh, an amusing little moment. Um, I had not seen Jack Russell in a long time. And I will confess, there was a long period of time where if you'd put me in a room with Russell, I'd have fucking killed him. Um, I had so much anger in his direction, which as of this particular evening when I went down to see them in Phoenix, I started to be able to evaporate and get rid of and have a very different view about Jack um, because he's someone who I think has found some redemption and he's a better soul now than maybe he was at times in the past. 
But anyway, the reason, the main reason why I went down there and we were halfway down I-17 and I started to go, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be there. I just don't want to deal with this. And my wife and partner, Heather, just said, nope, we're going to go and do this. And then she pointed to the other side of the freeway, which was absolutely immobile and blocked. And she said, there's your sign from the universe. You can't do a U-turn. You can't go home. You've got to go and see Jack and see the band. But I went down there because uh, uh, Tony Montana was having a hard time um, with the setup of the band and what was going on with the band. And I'd promised him that I'd come down. And I said, I'll be there for sound check, which made him laugh because he knew what that meant. He knew that the nib would be on the soundboard with his arms crossed, evaluating what's going on the stage and forming an opinion. And the opinion would be uh, that Tony was right to be upset about things that were going on in the band. Anyway, um, before the... Uh, before the set, Jack said to me, let's have a band meet after the set. And I said, you're on. You really want that? You know, because he knows that, you know, I don't beat around the bush. And uh, I watched the set. And I had to say his guitar player was just driving me nuts. Um, he was playing all over the place. His feel was pretty much non-existent. When Tony Montana put a guitar on and sang a song and played, played the main guitar parts, Robbie Lochner was just not backing him like he should and playing it accurately. And I was really looking forward to having the band meet and pointing some things out. So anyway, after the set, I come into the green room and the band are in there except for one. And then uh, Robbie Lochner comes running in and uh, whispers something to Jack and then disappears out of the room. And uh, Jack turns around to him and he said, Robbie doesn't want to do the band meet. And I said, oh, well, I do. How about everybody else? And the rest of the band said, sure, let's talk about the set. So I gave some very succinct commentary on what I'd seen. And the fact that I thought that Robbie was not being supportive or accurate or doing a good service to Jack. He was spinning around all over the stage and upstaging and downstaging and just, you know, basically I wanted to get a shepherd's crook, go up on the side of the stage, stick it out, wrap it around his neck and pull him off the stage. He was annoying me so much. But anyway, while I was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm making, enjoying this. Go ahead. While I, while I was making these points, this guy came into the green room and stood there. And I looked at him and I went, I don't know who, who the fuck you are, but, you know, I'm in midstream here. So if you're going to stand and, 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 and listen and so on and so forth, um, just stand there and listen. And, uh, you know, I, I, I gave my... Uh, post-game analysis and made some very pertinent points about Mr. Lochner. And uh, this, this guy walked out and apparently he walked up to somebody outside and went and said to them, wow, Niven's in there really letting them have it, especially Lochner. 
And uh, he said, but he knows what he's talking about. And that was Chip's enough. Yeah, you see, Chip Chip knows. Chip, uh, Chip has a, an eye for talent, and it, it's kind of funny, but... The, have you seen Robbie Logner since then? Because this was probably two or three years ago. Has he improved? Has he has he started playing with the band and not trying to be the solo artist? Montana tells me that it's a little bit better these days. Um, that he learned something. Jack tells me that you know, armed with my support, and you know, I told Jack I'll go and find you another guitar player. No worries. Um, but. Um, I think Jack had some talks with him, so I think it's improved a little bit. But no, I have not seen Mr. Lochner. And the thing that entertained me was that uh, he stayed out of the green room, the dressing room, all night long after the set and hid and didn't show his face until I was walking out of the building. And I was kind of aware of that, so I stayed and stayed and stayed. And <laughs> he still didn't come in. But he, he was hiding. He, he knew he was going to get it. That's uh, that's funny, and I'm surprised that he didn't just take his lumps and and say, "Hey, but uh, you know, hey, Alan, you know, I'm doing this because this is what Jack wants," or "Hey, Alan, this is this is how music is in 2018," or but, but yeah, that's that's kind of as if, you know, and, and as if you know, and I know those songs quite well for certain reasons. Yeah, um, but uh, no, he, he he just he just. He ran and hid. He, would, he wouldn't come and come and face me at all. Wow. And, you know, this is a guy who, before the show, I found this amusing. He was sitting like uh, the king of the castle behind this large oval table. And um, Grip and Grin guests were being invited in. And they were bringing in stuff that I hadn't seen in decades. You know, old stuff that I'd forgotten existed and you know, promo records and colored this and so on and so forth and the first album and what have you. And Robbie was sitting there like the king of the world, signing everything. Hey, hey Robbie, most, can you sign most, my, my once bitten, please? Could, would you mind? He, Thanks. He, oh, exactly. He was <laughs> signing everything, you know, going back to the beginning of the band's history. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. But the other interesting thing was, he didn't have the grace to turn around to anybody and say, oh, by the way, this, this guy standing here is so-and-so, and he's been with them since the beginning. Um, so I thought that was rather interesting, an interesting uh, um, revelation of his attitude. And um, You know, I'll say this. So, the, no, Robbie, Robbie didn't win any good points on that. Much. On this one. <laughs> I, I will say this, though. The, uh, the stage album... Which is the uh, the live the undoctored live album uh, is all white, so plenty of places for autographs at the next uh, meet and greet for for Robbie and others to sign. So buy stage and bring it because you you'll have plenty of sharpie space on it. Plenty of sharpie space for Robbie Lochner's wonderful autograph. <laughs> and and if you're lucky, he'll he'll sign the entire front with <laughs> with just his name. Oh my God! Yeah. He, he'll just be yeah. the Robbie. Anyway, I don't know why I'm making fun of him. I, I, I've never met him. But uh, Brainwash Generation is the latest from Enough's Enough. And here's Chip to tell you all about it. Uh, hey, take it away. Here's Chip's Enough. We are speaking with uh, Chip's Enough from the band Enough is Enough. The new album is Brainwashed Generation. Lots of great 
uh, guests on there. We'll get into all of that. But uh, first and foremost, as we say here in uh, Montreal, bonjour, Chip. Comment allez-vous? How are you? Oh, what a beautiful language you have there in Canada. I've always admired your strut, and uh, I also love your wine and women. How can you not? How can you not? Um, let, let us get into the to, to the brainwash. But but first of all, just quickly, the world situation with you being unable to tour M3 Festival not being able to happen. Um, what is sort of your take on that in terms of promoting a new album and and releasing new music? Because you went ahead and released it. You you, you didn't say, oh, I'm going to wait until everything's okay. Uh, you just said, okay. Uh, how has that changed your ability to promote it, not being able to go around and play a show at the Brass Monkey or at the whatever? It, uh, the playing field is still the same. We're all waiting in the same oceans, you know, and uh, obviously these are unprecedented waters because it depends how far you want to swim. Uh, the fact that the matter remains that we don't have a vaccine. There's no tours going to be happening right there. So for a band to go out and reach people, what do you do? Well, you got social media. We never had that before. When I first put the band together in the in the 80s, we weren't doing any stuff. There was no, no, we never even thought about that, to be honest with you. It was it was getting the Oscar Minor Wiener Wagon and take the band uh, where it needs to go to reach people. And now that we can't tour and that's been severed for the time being, we'll be back out there again, folks. Uh, now it's working social media and doing live streaming shows like we just did for the Monsters of Rock cruise in uh, July where you, you play a show and you reach 25, 30,000 people, which is way more you're going to reach out doing that if you're on tour the whole week playing playing venues and clubs, 500,000 seaters. Uh, so that's the, I think the name of the game now is uh, find some streaming shows where you can go to with good sites like uh, Larry Moran, Monster Rock Cruise, or uh, the ones Metallica's doing with Foo Fighters. And uh, get on those and don't ask for any money. Just play the show and do and do the best you can and let people know you're out there and social media will lift it. Uh, new records certainly doesn't hurt. I got to be honest with you. I know in my eyes, for, I'm a fan before anything else. When groups put new records out, I want to go get them. And our new record, it was record company Frontier said, we don't want to take time and hold it back. Let's put it out now. And I said, it's great. I'm ready to go play and do shows. At the end of the day, my legacy is going to be putting out records every single year. And Enough's Enough has got a lot of music out there. Well, I'll put us up to any band that's out there in the world. Not bragging, but as far as work and quality, profound, prolific songwriting, I think that we've, uh, we haven't fallen short. I don't think you've ever fallen short. And, and just quickly on, on the streaming, uh, there's a band called Trivium. They, they did a, th- a stream through Twitch. They ended up having uh, 20-some thousand tickets or 12,000-some tickets sold, and they made 180 grand. I mean, you know, let, let's, be, let's be honest. They're not an arena act, so they're not going to be playing the, you know, the United Center or the Bell Center in Montreal with, with 12,000. They're going to be playing a club, and they're not going to be making 180,000 for one gig. So, you know, it, there, there's some bad, but do you, do you think we're going to start evolving? Like, like, when this is over and we can go back to touring, do you still want to do a stream and, and still have that ability to reach, like you said, twenty or 30,000 people in one shot? Or is it really going to be back um, to sweating it out in, in, in the clubs? Well, I have to be honest with you, getting back to Trivium, I think they are an arena act. Maybe they're not right this minute, but I can go see them in concert, listen to their records, and obviously 
the live streaming show looks how it did that, that that's a, that's a future arena act right there and i believe that when it goes back to where we're doing stuff again where we can play shows it's not going to be a far away away it'll be next year and we all know that that's everybody's bitten the bullet the motley crude tour those and death leopard those cats are going to wait rolling stones of course are waiting aerosmith's going to hold back uh, cheap trick. Uh, what's the other one with Rod Stewart? That's going to be a big one. A lot of people want to see it. I think Blackberry Smokes on that one too. Uh, there's major tours out there. We remember we over twenty thousand tours have been uh, either postponed or rescheduled, and nobody wants to see concerts go away. It's just we have to find a way where we can do it where everybody's safe. Uh, not just the bands, but the the people that are attending the shows and all the crews. And how that's going to happen, I don't have an answer for you right there. I see concerts still happening. I've seen the great white one going on. Quiet Ride just played a couple weeks ago with, uh, uh, who was it, uh, Autograph and uh, Fozzie. There's groups that are still touring around. You're just not, you're just, there's not a lot of places you can go play without having the government come after you and, and try to uh, vilify you for your actions. And some people out there... I think it's un, uh, you're unsympathetic when you go out and play shows as well. So there's a couple different sides of the story. For the bands, they're starving to death. They're all Jones to get out there and work all the crews, all the venues. It's a lot of stuff we got to clean up, and we do have to open it up. But when it's going to happen, Mitch, uh, I don't have a silver. I don't have that. The you don't have that. Take a look at it. I, yeah. I wish I did. I listen. To, I talk to people in the business all the time from all the big companies and my, my my old managers run one of the biggest production companies in the world to do McCartney and Rolling Stones called Solo Tech and uh, they're saying the same thing out there just an Elton John tour and when he was in Australia with Enough's Enough I I believe that until we hear from the major bands that are going to be going out there on tour and the major companies like uh, Live Nations uh Tours will cease to exist except in the streaming form. And uh, I'll ask you one more question about that, and then we'll move away, and I'll just correct one thing. Uh, for, for me, Trivium is eventually an arena act. I don't think right now they are, but yes, they, they are talented enough, and Matt is definitely a proper, proper frontman, so credit to Trivium. But um, when it does open up, and then we'll move away from this topic because we'll get away from the negative, but when, when it does open... Do you see there being some kind of problem where, you know, a lot of these clubs, you know, eight out of 10 clubs, they say are going to close, you know, the, the Staples Center and the United Center and the Coliseum, they're all going to be there. So Madonna and Kiss and Metallica, they'll have places to go play. But what about sort of the smaller bands that just, that, that need, you know, a, a Brass Monkey Club in Ottawa, that need a rock pile in Toronto, that need these smaller venues um, if they disappear, what happens? You know, it's open, but you got nowhere to go. Is is there a concern about clubs not being there? Yeah, because you don't want everything to be owned by the big guy, and then that's all. You, there's nothing you can do. AEG and Live Nation, they they grab the rooms, and that's it. You want? I think it's healthy competition when you have independent people working at these venues. It's very important to our existence, and just to keep everything how it should be fair in the system, which we call the system of music. That's what it exactly is, you know, the business of music. I think at the end of the day there, you're going to find it where these little small rooms, they're everything. A lot of more bands need to play those rooms than they do that can play, that would play stadiums and sheds and arenas. 
So you're going to need those smaller rooms. And when it opens up, it's going to be like the Wild West because there's so many bands out there. If you look at all the agencies, there's you know, 30,000, 40,000 bands out there that want to go out and tour and play. So, yeah, you're going to find a problem if these venues close up. But I don't think they're going to. And if they do, the worst-case scenario is you're going to hear uh, the big the big two or the big three going and picking them up, and they're going to own them, and this, everything's going to be run by a couple of different companies. Yeah, so it'll get back. It'll get back eventually. So uh, let us get over to a brainwashed uh, generation. You do have some notable guests on the album. We will, of course, talk about Donnie, but let us start over here with uh, the drummers. Love drummers. I tried to drum when I was a kid. I tried to imitate Frankie Benelli, and I tried to imitate Eric Carr, and, well, I'm not Eric Carr, and I'm not Frankie Benelli, so that didn't work out too well. Um, and uh, may, of course, uh, may Frankie rest in peace. Um, talk to me about getting Mike Portnoy and Dax Nelson on this. Uh, Mike, of course, coming from that sort of progressive rock uh, frame, you know, the dream theater and stuff, um, how did how did that come about? And and did you tell them you know play a certain way, drum it a certain way, or just do what you do? No, when you're playing with big league guys, and I've I've been so blessed to jam with some of the biggest cats in the world. Okay, you never tell them what to do. You want to put handcuffs on a great musician. You want to get the best out of them. You want them to feel comfortable. Like it's a producer's job. So when I got a hold of Mike Portnoy, who coincidentally has to, happens to be my wife's cousin. Uh, first thing he said was, we're family. Uh, he goes, usually I cost a lot of money to do something like this. Chip, I get paid very well. Uh, he goes, but considering that we're family, he goes, I'll do it on the arm for you. Send me a couple of songs. And I just sent him the tracks. And then he did it himself, uh, one or two takes, pulled out his old Ringo drum kit, sent it back to me. I was happy beyond belief. He loved the track. You know, he gave me his comments on it, which he said it reminded of a, uh, beetles and jellyfish. I said, that's a good compliment. Uh, you're, you're quite, um, generous with those. Keep sending them. And then of course, or after that, I called Dax Nielsen and I came back from Australia on a back, uh, the backstory. And we didn't finish the record and the, and the label frontiers, uh, was asking for the album right now. They wanted to have it so they can put it out in June. And I said, absolutely. And the band wasn't together. We just came back from Australia and I didn't have everybody, we're all in different places. Uh, so I, it was easier for me to call Dax and have him come down and play. He would have played on the whole record, but uh, my drummer, Dan, 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 Benjamin, Benjamin Hill Hill, he's got the John Kalogner, John Kalogner disease. Uh, he gets his name twice. Uh, he's the one that uh, said, hey, you know, I, I, I got to get on the record down here. And it seems that we all share in the publishing anyway. I was able to pull him in and uh, get him on the last couple of songs and, uh, on this new album. But most of the album was a, a potpourri of different great drummers. They're wonderful guys. They have a great sense of balance. And I didn't say nothing. And it wasn't like the old days either. When you, you, know, you listen to Portland, you just watch him play. You don't say one word. And then you just give him the thumbs up. That's all you need to do with him. With Dax Nielsen, uh, he actually asked you questions and, hey, and ideas. He wants to hear where you want to take this song. And uh, I think it's best to leave that uh, information to yourself uh, and let him interpret the way he does, just like a song is to a fan. Uh, we hear the songs and someone goes, yeah, what's the song about? And you go, well, you know, I'd rather not say because what it means to you might mean something to somebody else. So same thing with Dax. You, you let, let these guys play and do their thing. Dan Hill, same way. And I think he come up with some great stuff there. And these guys really, 
helped elevate the songs on the whole record. And it's a real rock record. And I'm real proud of it because it's not your typical Enough's Enough album. And that's what good bands have always done in my life. They've always changed a little bit, uh, but kept their sense of balance. And I, I, I like to believe that we've done the same thing on this new Enough's Enough album. I think you have too. And, and all right, let's 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 quickly talk about that because with you taking over the vocals in on the last couple of projects, there is going to be a bit of a change in the sound. At some point, or was there any time where you just said, all right, you know, uh, this guy's not here, this guy's not here, let me go audition singers. What was that decision for you to become the lead vocalist? Did you just say, fuck it, I'm going to do it? Or did you say, oh, the auditions aren't working? Like, do you need that other guy? Uh, well, the other guy, in my eyes, was is my my brother, Donnie V. Right. That's the cat with the great pipes. Uh, but he's the one that told me eight years ago when he left the band that uh, if you're going to carry on the name Enough's Enough, you should go out and sing the songs because at least, you know, people know it, it's Enough's Enough. And, and and so how has that been? Because, you know, I saw you at M3 uh, last year at 2019, and yep. it, it was just phenomenal. I just thought it was a very authentic uh, presentation. I thought it was just a, a very authentic delivery of the material. And it just, it, it was great. But but do you feel that as the singer or is there a little bit of, and I know you don't, you're not shy, but uh, is there still a little bit of like, oh, I'd rather just be the guy in the background playing bass rather than out front? Are you are you a comfortable well, front man? I was never in the background because I always, you know, talked to the crowd and I've always in front. I've always sang on all the songs, whether it was lead vocals or harmonies, I was always in front there. So I felt like Enough Snuff always had two front men, almost like, uh, Peter Gabriel and, and Phil Collins. Um, but no, I, uh, to answer your question, I, could, I probably could have looked around the country and got someone, but when you got the original singer saying, if you're, not, I'm not going to do it, but if you're going to move forward, you should do it. I think that's enough for me to give, give me enough confidence right there to move forward and, and give it a, ch a chance. And it's, listen, it wasn't easy in the beginning. Certainly it was a difficult gig. Uh, and it's always challenging. And, uh, I hail all lead singers out there. It's a tough job. Uh, but if you can do it and you can find the work, God bless you. And I think that I've, I've worn the dress uh, fairly well up to this point. I'm confident, especially on the records that we've put out on our own in the last couple of years. Uh, quite uh, quite uh, a lot of input as far as uh, songs go and also touring. You know, I've had a lot of gigs under my belt. And, you know, in the old days, we'd be traveling in a bus and it'd be an ounce of cocaine. I'm serious. And there'd be, you know, a quart of ether and uh, you'd have uh, $1,500 to $3,000 of methadone pills uh, and just uh, so much loudmouth soup. You know, every kind of whiskey you could think of in vodka and uh, every distiller, every loudmouth soup that was available. And we, and we were just living our lives vicariously through our favorite bands of the past. You know, the Stones and, uh, and the bands that partied a lot and burned the candle, you know, Zeppelin and queen and uh then we uh, and when you grow up and you get a little bit older you realize that a little discipline never hurt anybody at least my grandfather used to say that to me all the time so those old tours you know with Def leopard and cheap trick and you know i was sounding like i'm dropping names and i am because these are great bands that we played with and you learn a lot of lessons watching these cats how they handle themselves and, and carry themselves as men and as musicians i think we've learned a lot still to keep going there's not going to be many guys out there like me folks uh, sorry to say, you know, business has changed. You're not going to get any bands. The average life expectancy is 
three to five years. I've said it in interviews before, and it's the truth. And I've been proven, it's, it's proven a fact through the years. Uh, for a guy like me to be out there, you when you see guys like Jimmy Page and, you know, the Foo uh, Fighters and uh, Foreigners and, and the Queens and the Cheap Tricks, you go, it's a miracle that I'm still going because those guys, it's a miracle for them. And they've had phenomenal success throughout their career. So for bands that have, you know, been chasing the carrot for a long time and they're still out there doing, you know, the L.A. Guns, the Faster Pussycats, um, I hail those guys, you know, it's just a tough little gig. I, I don't, I, and I'm not going to say it's the, it's the right gig for anybody if you're a musician, but if you are, listen to as much music as you can. That's what I did. Try to find a style of music you like playing. So no matter what, even if it isn't commercially successful, uh, it's satisfying to yourself. Yeah, and listen, the, the L.A. Guns do it so well that they have to have two versions uh, touring the country. Nah, well, that's uh, that. When I, when I see that, and I go, that's a dra- that's a drag that could happen to a lot of different bands. You know, it's, it's it's sad. It's the way when we get together, nobody gears up a band for failure. So we all get together, we make records, and then when people move move away from that, each other and want space or or want to try something different and new, they're vilified because they're not sacrificed themselves. But the fans and myself, I look at it as well. You know, I got those early records from those cats. They were all together. It was good. It was a nice little run, and they're all still continue to keep working and playing and making a living. And if the if the product is good, I'm going to support it. And that's the, you just got to get it. You really there's not enough time in the day to yeah. to be slinging mud when you live in a glass house. Uh, you know what? I, I couldn't have said it better. And and uh, yeah, you know what? The, the bands that have had two versions, your Queens Rikes, your Rats, and all that, they should have had their house in order before. Anyway, but anyway, let's move on. Uh, I don't want to debate the 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 business side of it and stuff. But uh, no, we know what we do. What you and I do love is the and the people that are listening to this program, they love the fact that we all support our bands. We support all the groups that we love. Yeah. Because they're not around forever. When it's done, that's it, folks. And it's you know it's the, it's the new wave that's going to be coming in. Who knows what that's going to be? Back in the fifties, it was jazz. For uh, 40s it was swing music. In the fifties, it was jazz. And then it went to, in the sixties, started getting a little rock and roll. Seventies, it was hard rock. Everything changed. And on the eighties, all of a sudden, we have you know death metal and, and thrash and heavy metal and you know hair metal. It's ridiculous. All the names out there. We just we just smashed and smothered all the different, the great music that we had out there to try to put it in different categories just to make money. It was just a jag off in an office that was doing, it wasn't the rock bands or the fans that were saying that it was, there was some guy, there was some journalist that goes, yep, we're going to call it heavy metal. You know, Zeppelin, that's a reason why Led Zeppelin never wanted to be called it. They're a rock and roll band at the end of the day, Rolling Stone, rock and roll band. And then, you know, we've got all these different alternative came in. Those bands were alternative before there was fucking alternative out there. Okay. The Stones, I Queen, Everyone, Beatles, they were all alternative before all of them. Yeah, well, and then now we got all these different names and places to go and people and things to grab onto. And no one knows the big potpourri of a, you know, a bunch of um, a load of malarkey, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I agree. think that, you, you know, yeah, we, we need to, there needs to be a way where we, uh, you know, subjectively put those bands all together. In, in one or two different categories. It's ridiculous what they have out there. I think essentially any cat, it's rock. It's just rock. You know, L.A. Guns, Cheap Trick, Rat, Queens, Reich, Dream Theater, they rock. That's it. We don't need all these other things. And, uh, you know, you're right about supporting the bands. What I find amusing, and I'll use the, uh, the, the sports analogy, is... 
you know, you love the Cubs or you love the Yankees and then, you know, Babe Ruth disappears. Well, guess what? You still stay a Yankees fan, you know, and, and they get a new guy. They get Don Mattingly and then, OK, you know, and they go on. At no point you go, well, Mattingly's gone. I'm not a fan of the team. And no, nobody ever does that. You love the Yankees. You stay with the Yankees. So, you know, if you love uh, Enough's Enough or you love Rat or you love L.A. Guns, you support and you stick with them and you stick with there's the guys. Many, and there's not many bands out there where you can get all the guys and say, yeah, these guys came from the beginning. They're still together. I mean, I, a couple of them. Uh, uh, They're very say, rare. Uh, I mean, even... Yeah, even, Kicks, maybe. Kicks would be out there. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Aerosmith. How yeah. many are out there? Really, every band's lost a guy or two. God bless them for one reason or another. Yeah, and we listen, and Aerosmith support your bands. Aerosmith have the five guys now, but there was a, a three or four year period where they had Jimmy Crespo and Rick Dufay, and they did stuff and and Cheap Trick, which we love, and they're celebrating what is it, thirty five or forty years or whatever yep. they're celebrating. Yep. They've yep. got Dax in there. Nothing against yep. Bunny Carlos. We love Bunny. He's a great, great drummer. But I love Dax being in there because you know what? It means the band continues and I can go see them open for Poison and I can go see them at the whatever club and the music lives. So, you know, God bless Dax. God bless all these people that come in. And Well, you got Poison. And Mot- Let's not forget Poison and Motley Crue. You got the original guy still. That's pretty good. Right. But but again, they, they did the switcheroo for a little bit, too. They brought in John Karabi. They brought in Richie Kotz. And so so this whole thing that uh, it's not the band if so-and-so's not there. I mean, come on, shut up. It's, it's enough. You yeah, know. As long as the band's performing, playing the songs, and you got a guy there, it's good. We got a couple of guys. We got Alex Kane in the band. Alex put the, enough stuff together with me in the old days. So there's, there's two or four out of four of us. It's something. Uh, that I yeah. can brag about a little bit. And the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is, if you come see the band live, we're going to give you a good show. It's not like you're going to come out and seeing guys and wearing Depends. And no, the band I, brings it every single night. It's, 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 a, it's a rock show at the end of the day, and we go in every single city, and we bring it every single night. You, you, you never yes. see us mailing it in, ever. Yes, and, and that goes back to what I said about M3. Uh, it was an authentic performance. You were on a big stage, and you dis- you... How can I put it? You looked like you belonged on a big stage. It wasn't like, oh, God, what are these guys doing here? Oh, my God, let me make it end. It was like, no, they're fucking owning this stage and the fans are owning, are loving these songs. So good on Chip and the band for that night. Uh, let's quickly just get over to, to Donnie V. Uh, I don't want to say it's the elephant in the room, but it's sort of the elephant in the room. He comes back. He does a guest vocal. The song sounds amazing, right? I mean, it, um, uh, what's it called? Strangers in My Head. Great sounding track, and of course, you know it's gonna. You got to get him back. You got a reunion. You you knew that was coming, so you did the song anyway. Talk to me a little bit about that and bringing him back and having him guest vocal, and then of course having all the criticism of oh reunion tour blah blah blah. Talk talk to me a little bit about that that vibe. I think it was a wonderful opportunity. Uh, Donnie reached out to me and said I got some songs. Why don't we do something nice together? and maybe uh, record a track or two. And I said, uh, send me what you got, your ideas. And he did, and they were all terrific, by the way. And I thought Strangers was the one that really caught my attention for this record. Because if you listen to this record, it's kind of conceptual in a lot of ways. There's Talk about an elephant in the room. I mean, look what's happening in the world right now. There's plenty of fodder, uh, a brink's truck of subject matter to write about. And that's what the whole record is basically about, as opposed to an autobiography like Past Enough's Enough Albums. Uh, and I, so I think we took a different approach on that one, or I certainly did. And, and when he brought me the track, I thought, you know, this guy's still got the greatest pipes in the world. 
I just love these. I put them right up there. When I talk to Steven Tyler or Xander from Cheap Trick, they all, they all look at him as one of the one of the great guys out there from the past, you know, and he hasn't been doing it in a while, but he, he doesn't tour a lot, he, but he puts out records, and they're fabulous albums. His new ones, Beautiful Things, is great. So when we were putting their album together, record company wanted, they had all the parts of the record was already turned in when Donnie called me. So I pulled the record. I went and called the label. I called Rick, uh, Nick Teeter over at Frontiers, the vice president. I said, can, I hold, can we hold up the record a second? I want to take a song up there and put another song on there. And he says, absolutely. And uh, he was a little concerned that we'd, we'd have to, maybe a problem with uh, uh, a contract with the song. I said, there's not a problem. No, we'll just go in there. We'll just lay the track down and we'll, give it, and we'll do a publishing within house. And uh, we we did the track and it was great and it was the second song on the record actually that he was on because he co-wrote the first song uh, which is called Fatal Distraction. So there's a couple songs on there we thought this is real nice for any of the diehard fans would love it because we got a lot of new fans too since he's been gone I've been touring around the country with everybody from Cheap Trick to Ace Frehley, Great White, Quiet Riot. He's going around playing shows all over the place so. To, uh, I felt that maybe it was in our best interest to to do something nice for the fans as well. And uh, the record came out. It's done very good for us for no touring or anything. Uh, I think we've done very well. And, uh, you know, if people want to get the record, it's in all the stores, obviously, that they have record stores. They're still out there. You know, I've seen Rolling Stone was sold or out Or Amazon or whatever. And and by the way, yeah, LA... You, we, were, we, were, we were in the top 100 on Amazon for the first month. Wow. And LA Weekly named it Album of the Week. So let's not forget that, which is kind of cool. We've always been the critic. We've always been the critic, darling. But uh, to quote the great Herbie Herbert, Journey's old manager, who uh, managed enough stuff as well, he uh, he said, uh, "Chip, don't confuse motion with progress." <laughs> Maybe that's the case right there, where uh, you know, yeah, sales are nice, and it's uh, sometimes uh, when the critics are talking about a band, it means uh, you know, sales might not be as strong as they would be for you know the, your top fifty contemporary bands. Uh, but compliments are nice. We always love to hear them. The fans have spoken, though, and the ones that are getting the record hail it beyond belief. And I think it's a nice gesture on Donnie's part to come in there on the track, and also it opens up the door for uh, future endeavors. Yeah, and, and we'll see what that is. And and I will finish with uh, these two questions. Uh, just quickly, I love the credit. Ace Fraley, formerly of KISS. Inaudible lead guitar on track uh, seven, which is uh, Drugland Weekend. Uh, so he, he he records this track and he sends it to you, and it just it 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 just it didn't work, and so you just figured ah I'll throw it in there anyway. Yeah, I couldn't, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't hear the audio. You know, we were playing in Detroit. We were at uh, I think it was a Diesel, maybe it was one of those nice big venues. Could have been a. Uh, uh, one of the theaters that was out there it was jam-packed beyond belief, okay? Ace comes in five minutes before the show. He goes backstage. He's got this guy named Jimmy with him, ex-New York cop, wonderful guy. These guys just have been living their life vicariously through their favorite guys, believe me, because Jimmy's just full of life, and it's just, he's loving the women that are at the shows. And Ace is just wants to play the gig and see the people and get out of there, you know, and get to the next city, wash, rinse, repeat. So I walk backstage. No, His band's in another dressing room, by the way. I go into the other room, knock on the door, I give it the old tink, 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 and Jimmy answers there, and first thing Ace does is come up to me and give me a big hug. I knew that he was still love. I haven't seen him in uh, almost a year since the last tour we did, uh, but we knew each other back from the 80s, and I said, Ace, I'm doing a record right now. I'd love the spaceman to play on a solo. He says, Chip, send it to me, I'll, and I'll play four of them. That's what he said. 
So I send one track, Drugland Weekend, Apple Propos, a great title for a rock track for a rock guy like him to play on. And he loved that too. And uh, when I got the track back, there was I couldn't hear any audio. The record company was pressuring me to get the record turned into him. And I had a, I had Neil Sean going to play on a track. I had uh, uh, I asked um, Nuna Benton Court. He said, yeah, Chip, I'd love to send it to me. I sent these guys a song to play on. I thought it'd be a couple of big leaguers like that. It would really help elevate our perception. Uh, but when Ace's part didn't come through, it was too late to go back to him and have him send, resend it again. So I just went and uh, I played it myself in a couple of minutes. I tried to do my best impression, impersonation of Ace Freely, and uh, uh, I'd say I got maybe a 7 out of 10. That's hilarious. Oh, um, hey, you know, maybe next time. And, of course, uh, since you mentioned uh, Robin Zander, uh, I have to ask, just for, for, for myself and my show, when are you going to set me up with an interview with Robin? That That would be very important. That's a tough. That's like getting an interview with E.F. Hunt. Okay? I know, I know <laughs> that those guys don't talk to anybody. But anyway, uh, always. Now Robin does take interviews once in a while. Robin's very good about that. Yes, um, I think right now he's enjoying his time off because next year that tour is rescheduled with Rod Stewart, and he's just uh, keeping his pipes nice and uh, healthy for for getting out there and tour around the United States. And sometime I think it's going to be in May or June of. Uh, 2021 so yeah and he does uh, have robin a show Zander, coming up. i do talk to him uh, i just sent robin a track by the way i just sang on a, a song with uh john anderson from yes oh wow and uh it's, it's, he'll be putting it out in the next month or so also uh the drummer nico uh, nico mcbain from uh, iron maiden is on the track as long along with uh uh sean mckee I'm, I'm singing on there and i think winger's on there and i think robin zander is going to be singing on that track along with john anderson from yes so I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a great. song called Everything, Everything Changes is the name of the song. For for what project? For John Anderson? For for John Anderson, yeah. Everything Changes is the name of the song. And it, it, I think it's feedtheworld.org would be the site if you wanted to donate. Feedtheworld.org. Ah. And uh, John's donating everything to that song on there. Uh, Jean Lupont, he's playing the violin on the track as well. There's some really great musicians. I'm honored to be in a track with the with the great John Anderson, but having uh, Robin Zander on there along with uh, Kip Winger and the other illustrious musicians that are on there. Nathan, I think Nathan East is on there too from, uh, he played with a bunch of heavyweights, uh, most notably Eric Clapton. Uh, they're all donated their time and their musician skills to play on this track. Oh, wow. I can't wait to, I can't wait to hear that. And uh, on that, as we say here in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Always, always a pleasure. And, of course, folks, uh, do pick up Brainwashed Generation. It came out in July, but it is still very much worthy of a listen. So uh, go pick it up, and uh, merci, Chip. Thank you so much. Hey, I'll tell you, Mitch, if I can add quickly, there's yes. a lot of good bands that go out there and check out. You know, Vintage Trouble, I love the, I love the Lemon Twigs. I think they're fabulous. Dirty Honey, there's some good pop and good rock bands that are out putting out records, too, as well as ours. So, you know, uh, support your favorite groups out there because uh, we want to keep them around. It's important to have great music in our vocabulary. I agree. I agree. And uh, even if, uh, and in some cases, if there's two versions of a band, just support them both for crying out loud. Just be support. Just support. That's all I'm going to say. Well, how about just, how about not slinging mud? Even if you don't like the other band, the other version of it, that's okay. Don't, don't say nothing. Like mm-hmm. Grandma used to say a long time ago, if you got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. 
I, I agree. Um, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of just nonsense that goes on, especially online. Oh, I hate this band or I hate that. You know, I post stuff to Twitter and every so often be like, well, I hate that album. It's like, well, then don't answer. Don't don't reply to my tweet. Just leave it alone. <laughs> you know, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, the two most important words are peace and love to me. Je suis d'accord. I am fully in agreement. Thank you, Chip. Merci, as always. Uh, God bless you and your family and uh, everybody out there in Canada. I can't wait to come out to your beautiful city and country and uh, hang out and uh, bring some debauchery with me. <laughs> of course. <laughs>